happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world to the EdTech Situation Room. Tonight is May the 5th. It's Cinco de Mayo, 2021. I'm not going to just make up a date like I think I did last time I was you know, hosting the show. <laughs> and we are at episode 218. My name is Wes Fryer, and I'm here in Oklahoma City, where we might survive the first week of May without a major tornado, which is always a good thing. And I'm joined as always, well, and I am the technology integration and innovation specialist at the Cassidy School here in Northwest Oklahoma City. Joined as always by Dr. Jason Neifer, EdTech ruler and king of Montana and <laughs> guru of all remote learning knowledge. How are you, Jason? I am well, although uh, guru of something, 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 probably not entirely accurate, but thank you for saying that anyways. Um, again, I'm Jason Neifer. I'm the assistant director and curriculum director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in lovely Missoula, Montana. And uh, tonight, the weather is a pleasant, uh, probably um, low 60s, maybe high 50s. Uh, we're going to probably have our first 80 degree day tomorrow is what it looks like we're going to hit like 82 tomorrow which is nice we've only had a couple 70 degree days so the weather is very welcome uh here in the first week of may but i don't think we're here to talk about the weather wes what is the edtech situation room all about well every week with almost no fail we are gathered to talk about the past week's technology headlines through an educational lens so if you want to head over to our website, edtechsr.com. You can click the link for links, and we've got a very long Google document which has show notes from the beginning of our show. I think that might have been back in 2015, five years ago. Is that right? I yeah, think so. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. And so, uh, anyway, we're going to be uh, bringing you some breaking news tonight. We have security news, tech correction, Apple, Google, social media, the miscellaneous category, and, of course, we'll round it off with some geeks of the week. So Dr. Neifer, I understand that you have been working hard with the gremlins in the attic to get some special music effects for our breaking news. Yep, you- I believe we have breaking news, Dr. Fryer. <laughs> All right. Well, isn't that exciting? Yes. So, breaking news. Good job. I, I still like that. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll revert. You know, we're not a sponsored podcast, folks. So, <laughs> you know, you're getting what you're paying for here. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, let's start with some Facebook news. Uh, we have been waiting for the oversight board of Facebook to have a ruling on former President Donald Trump and his ban. Twitter had announced weeks ago that that was going to be a lifetime ban. But Facebook has this oversight board, which is really not done that much. Uh, and so the first link I just dropped in was USA Today. Uh, this is 9, 11 a.m. this morning, Eastern Time. Facebook ban on Donald Trump upheld by Facebook oversight board, but decision opens the door to his possible return. We have a couple other links. Um, I actually watched Fox News and then I watched CNN. One of the great things, ladies and gentlemen, about Google News, because when you, when you click, you know, full coverage, uh, or spectrum coverage or whatever, you know, you get a lot of, oops, my dog is going to jump in my lap. <clears throat> you get a lot of different coverage. And so what I just heard was that the board said that, that they need to uh, have, I think, you know, clearer guidelines, but basically they have six months to make a final decision, throwing this back, I guess, at at Mark Zuckerberg to make a decision. They did say things like they need to be assured that that the former president will not continue to spread uh, disinformation and and falsehoods. And we're not a political show, folks. We're not going to be talking politics all night. Uh, but, But this is a huge impact technologically on what we've been calling the tech correction. And so on the Fox News clip, uh, which maybe I will go ahead and drop those in there. There are links that that we have at the top of our uh, show notes for tonight. Uh, you know, this was was it Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff, was was saying, go. This is going to galvanize Republicans. This is it. You know, Republicans and Democrats are going to meet on this issue because we've got folks on both sides of the aisle calling for regulated tech. We're going to break up Facebook. They should not have this much power. This is going to be the tipping point for which we're going to regulate tech. Um, and, and then, you know, it's, 
It definitely points to what we already know, and that is that the Facebook algorithm has tremendous power over what we can see and the the ways that, um, you know, the ways we, we have culture created or destroyed and just the way we live our lives. Like, it is an enormous impact. Um, and there's some other articles in here, too. But let me toss it to you, Dr. Neifer. What are your thoughts on tonight's breaking news? Well, I would say that... Um I, I, a lot of a lot of coverage on this today. A lot of opinions. Uh, almost all of them critical of Facebook. And, and really, it was a lose lose for Facebook, right? The second that they they put this out to their kind of Supreme Court of sorts uh, to make the decision, and uh, it would have made someone mad. I, I would guess that there would be equal amounts of outrage, perhaps from a different political persuasion, if uh, now former President Trump had been allowed back onto Facebook and. Uh, obviously a lot of outrage that he wasn't, although I would say that this court group or this independent group that, that, uh, made this decision also didn't really make the decision, right? They, they, they did green stamp the, uh, 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 the, um, the January 6th decision, or I guess post January 6th decision to, uh, boot, uh, uh, then President Trump off of Facebook, uh, temporarily and has, you know, kind of punted this back to, uh, the good folks at Facebook itself. But the bottom line is that, it, you know, lots of talk about rights and lots of talk about, you know, uh, uh, speech platforms, but the bottom line is that Facebook is a private business. Um, I, I get that Facebook is, uh, very powerful, and I, I think it probably does justify regulation, but I think breaking it up as the headline, right, that we need to break up because they're too powerful, I'm not sure if that's even enough, because if Facebook, uh, and maybe also too much at the same time, but if, if Facebook is suddenly not um, uh, uh, the owner of uh, WhatsApp and Instagram, and there are many other properties they snapped up in their buying sprees of of of, of late. Then I, I, there's still Facebook, right? And I think until we as users uh, think about what we're posting on Facebook, and and also to be honest, um, uh, Facebook harbinger or is a harbinger of a lot of negative. Uh, 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 conversations and talk from that side of the political persuasion that has nothing to do with President Trump. And I would imagine that those uh, of that political persuasion would also argue the same is true of people that disagree with them. And so, you know, uh, as we mentioned dozens of times, uh, uh, even this year on the podcast, that the power to connect is, is, is a very powerful thing. It's not always used for good or for positive outcomes. And so we have to think about you know, what, what does that mean? Does that mean we should devolve the technology? Does that mean we should regulate the technology? What does that look like? If the government steps in and overregulate Facebook, that would be uh, uh, per- perhaps an impediment of speech, which would violate the First Amendment. Facebook can do it all, all it wants to, um, but, you know, there is risk in, in regulation from the standpoint of the First Amendment. So obviously the issues are quite complicated, um, but... Uh, you know, I would say that uh, I, I don't know the right answer here, but I'm willing to also mention that I don't think the Facebook Supreme Court probably knows the right answers either. Hello to Peggy George in our chat room, and she's sharing a link to Kara Swisher's article on the Facebook decision. I had not not read that yet. I am going to drop a link into the Wikipedia article for Section 230, which is something we have discussed, as Jason said, multiple times on the show and this whole idea of a, of the the, the tech correction and regulation. Um, I'm going to say that in civics class next year, in 2021-2022, we should be talking with students about Section 230. Section 230 is one of the things that they're talking about whether they need to amend or do away with. It, it extends uh, what's called the Good Samaritan Protection of Civil Liability. It basically says that you don't treat a Facebook or a YouTube or, you know, a blog service as a publisher or speaker of information. And, and it, and it permits a wide range of voices to be on. Yes, it also permits extremist voices and there can be voices that, you know, they, they may violate community standards and, you know, and, and decency and laws and, and things like that in different countries. 
But these are big issues, and these have big impacts on democratic governance. We don't have these things figured out. It is really messy. There's not a technology solution where artificial intelligence is suddenly going to arrive on the scene, and it's going to save us. Um, so a couple related articles that I'll share. And th- really, the breaking news with the tech correction news, with the social media news, are all kind of uh, blended together. Um, there's a really nice piece in The New Yorker from May 2nd called Facebook and the Normalization of Deviance. And this article is breaking down oh, the, a lot of history about what Facebook has not done, the apologies that we've seen in the past, the ways in which Facebook has been weaponized by different um you know, groups and different kind than different individuals, how they've responded to data breaches or not responded to them. Um, you know, it just, and then it references an April 13th report by the markup, which is a nonprofit um, that is indicating, you know, Facebook's ad business monetizes and reinforces political polarization in the United States. It points to the, the idea that Facebook has played a pivotal role in polarizing the nation and fueling many of the difficulties that we have today finding compromise, which, by the way, is an, is an essential part of democratic government. If you can't have compromise, you really can't govern. And this is a huge problem. So uh, that is a good article. And then there's one more that could actually go under the breaking news. Um, Twitter begins to show prompts before people send mean replies. This is NBC News today on May the 5th. Twitter, prior to the election, had started to do something where if you didn't read the article, like even click the link, which they assume, you know, you got to click the link to read the article. Uh, they were going to say, hey, do you want to read this first? And so now AI is actually detecting if you're perhaps having a mean tone to what you're tweeting. Uh, but it's going to not just stop you. It's going to pop up and say, hey, do you want to rethink that? Anyway, interesting. The companies are trying to deal with this, but the the root issues here, and it's just so, of course, you know, the, the, the Trump presidency was sort of the Twitter presidency. I mean, there was a, there were many, many decisions. It, it was just his megaphone of, of how he communicated not only with the world, but sometimes with his own staff, firing people and just, you know, it was elevated to a point that we had never seen, you know, social media lifted. So, um, are you, have you, has your thinking, Jason, about the tech correction and how this all might be resolved or where it goes? Do you think it has shifted or changed much? Uh, let's just say since the election and since, you know, the start of the year. Well, I think the tech correction, in my mind, started uh, uh, in the 2016 election, right? And then 2017 and 18, with all of the um, all of the revelations about Cambridge Analytica and the hacks. Um, and I have two related articles I'll shift to in a second that that also speak to this uh, these topics in, in, in a lot of ways. But I think that started uh, really uh, in the 2016 election, and I don't. You know, it, 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 like, it's, it's easy to point fingers at Trump because he was such a, 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 a heavy user of Twitter. But the reality is, is that the hacking of the 2016 election, which benefited and, and, and hurt both sides of the election, um, that, that there were groups internationally that were really just trying to wreak havoc in the United States electoral system, whether there was, uh, uh any preference one candidate or, or the other or not. And certainly the um, Mueller report, which talks about a lot of this in, in, in some detail, t- talks about uh, influences of international actors that were trying to influence the election. Uh, that particular report tended to bend a little more towards those that were trying to uh, uh, bend the election in favor of, of, of former President Trump. But the bottom line is that uh, I think this started well before Donald Trump became president, and I think it's going to continue a while longer, even though Trump himself is is trying to stay relevant on social media, despite the fact that he doesn't have uh, access to any platforms. And an example of that tonight comes 
uh, from The Verge. Uh, this was yesterday's edition of The Verge. Uh, Donald Trump has uh, launched his social media platform. Um, it's not really a platform. And in fact, it probably is best described as a blog. Um, but uh, the the website, which is, I think, Donald, De- Donald J. Trump. But, that's uh, correct. That's they, the, that is the link. Yes. Right. And so and they are they're not even they're they're tweet like uh, 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 statements. He sends out or this week is sent out about five or six a day. Um, they're obviously in the way he used to use Twitter. For example, he he uh, spent a lot of time on Representative Cheney from Wyoming today, who he is a uh, very public beef with uh, at this point. The bottom line, though, is that it, it was wise in that there are share to Twitter, share to Facebook links on every one of those statements. So, and in fact, he's you know using uh, members of his uh, fan base to be able to push his his attitude out over Twitter. So it's kind of a clever way of of, of kind of getting around that ban. Um, but the bottom line is that um, there's there's a there's a correction that's going to happen. I just you know five years after we started talking about it, I still don't know what it's going to be. I also don't really understand what we can like what positive steps we can take from a regulation standpoint. I would still go back to that. Probably the most important thing we can do as educators is continue to educate our students, uh, certainly about civics. I think that's a really important piece of this, but also understanding the power of social media and treating it like it's an enormously powerful tool that has shocking, uh, 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 side effects that we need to be extremely aware of as its users. So I'll just kind of add a little side note of commentary here, and I'd be happy if anybody has input or thoughts on this. Um, so this summer, I'm going to have a chance to participate for the third time in the week-long Institute on, uh, on, on Digital Literacy. And it's been remote, it was remote last year. It's going to be remote this year. And I'll have a chance to be faculty this year. Prior to last year's Institute, which is a week-long, wonderful time of professional development projects, working with other, with other educators. I work with Brian Turnbaugh, who is a a secondary teacher up in the Chicago area. And we worked on a project called conspiracies and culture wars, which has led to um, a focus on the moon landing and about now, now it's about a seven lesson unit that I've been doing with my sixth graders on web literacy, discerning who it is that you believe online, applying the SIF framework, learning about lateral reading, some good stuff. It's actually pretty challenging for sixth graders. Um, but my, my, my out loud thought is we're, I'm meeting with Brian tomorrow night and then actually the team is, is having a meeting as well. And I need to think about kind of where that project goes. And I think we, I think we need to write a book about this. There's a lot that we need to be educated about ourselves when it comes to what's happening societally, uh, you know, with technology, with, uh, elections, um, but there are important skills that we need to to help students acquire. And we also need to navigate the polarized climate that we're in. None of us need to be fired. But at the same time, it's important to talk about current events. And these kinds of issues are really essential to civics and to governance in the 21st century. So perhaps there's room for, you know, some kind of one day uh, summit or, or webinar. I, I, I sense that we're still going to be largely online this summer for professional development. I've been toying myself with the idea of doing some face to face and Anyway, it's uh, it's a great time to be doing webinars and online stuff, and and maybe after this will be more, um, you know, in person. Sure. But I think um, you know the conversations that Jason and I get to have, you know, each week are very clarifying for me. It's always a challenge, you know, to to be reading articles and and considering different perspectives and trying to to connect dots. And I think that's an important thing to be sharing with students too, to apply the educational lens to this is we need their help to help solve this, right? To help figure this out because you got to be careful when you say it's never been this bad or we've never had these challenges. And look, we're not in World War II. And I mean, there's been much more horrible and and terrible conditions to be in than than many of us are living in today in 2021. However, it is unprecedented to have the globe connected as the way it is today, to be able to have current events, uh, live video streams, messages, you know, shared at the speed of light, and also, you know, affected by bots and by a wide range of actors who have, you know, armies of both people and programs that have been written to, you know, try and influence people's minds and, 
And it's just a, it's a wild west. And we, we really need to enlist students to help us grapple with these issues and understand the complexities because it is com, it is complicated. Um, and then hopefully to, you know, to, to find a way forward so that we can, uh, you know, continue to have representative government, uh, to make representative government even better. I was listening to a Noam Chomsky podcast this week and I was like, whoo. Uh, anyway, uh, did a bunch of reading of, of him when I was in college. Um, yeah, we, we need kids to help us and, and we need to be looking at, at how civics education specifically, I think, grapples with many of these issues and, and tackles them head on, um, and challenges students to help be part of the solution. Absolutely. And I'm going to kind of shift this a little bit here. I do want to note something. Uh, one funny thing about uh, former President Trump's uh, kind of wannabe social network here. I don't think the hard button actually does anything. I think you just press it and it just it just seems to click, but it doesn't do anything. So I think that that's kind of interesting. Um, I, I want to shift for a moment. I don't obviously want to spend the entire show talking about social media because uh, uh, obviously huge impact on education, but there's a lot of other cool stuff to talk about. But I do want to uh, talk for just a bit about something really interesting that's going on um, uh, uh, also impacting Facebook, and that is that Facebook – you know, you can turn off app or, or, or so you can turn off tracking, uh, user tracking on Facebook. We talked about that in previous uh, episodes that iOS 14.5 gives users the ultimate choice to turn off app tracking. And there's a couple of interesting articles about this. The first one um, is from 9to5Mac on May 2nd that uh, talks about Facebook's campaign to tell you to not do that. And I will say it wasn't my intent to turn off uh, uh, app tracking in um, iOS, and it turns out that I was encouraged to do so by an article that, that said it was as easy as clicking one button, so I did do that. Um, I've not seen the ad that the 9to5Mac article is talking about, but Facebook essentially says if you want to keep Facebook free of charge, the only way to do that is to have us deliver you personalized ads. And then there is a, a an extended commentary um, also from 95Mac, and that was today, I think, from Ben Lovejoy talking about how um, he probably wasn't the kind of guy that would turn off uh, ad tracking because he prefers personalized ads, as do I. I would say that, that in general, I think personalized ads are better than non-personalized ads. But he said that the kind of vague threats by Facebook to start charging for the app um, are, are, you know, are too much for him. And that, that it's, it's encouraged him to really maybe think about uh, 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 the, uh, the tracking over applications. I have to say, I think that the only way for Facebook to survive in this marketplace, if they, if, if they truly believe they can't make a profit without tracking you is to start charging for the service. And I guess I, you know, I can't say I'd be much more than 10, 15, 20 bucks a year, a uh, good for, for paying for Facebook, but I'd probably pay for Facebook if it meant that the advertising went away, um, and the tracking and the creepiness that comes with, with, uh, um, you know, kind of 2021 Facebook. If it, if that would go away, I'd be okay with paying for that service. And in fact, we're probably going to have to start thinking about ways we can pay for services directly because the, that the, the tracking train is probably not over, but it's going to be severely minimized. And Apple's really throwing a gauntlet down here um, by creating a, a software means for us to take more control over our data. Couple of comments, real quick. I I had turned on I I, I turned on allow apps to re- request to track, but I've never gotten a request to track. I deleted the Facebook app just from my phone, not my account. Reinstalled it. Nothing. Nada. There's no request to do anything. Facebook is just operating as it has. So is that because I clicked previously to allow it? I don't know. I have seen no difference myself with iOS 14. And I know when Peggy said, you you know, she's opted out as well. I think we had a set, uh, you know, survey last week that was saying like 66% or two thirds of, of iOS users are, are going, are choosing, you know, to turn that off, but it's weird. And so I don't know. I, I could guess I could I could turn it off, but it's it's weird that nothing pops up on my screen asking me anything. So if anybody knows, I don't know, I, I guess I should Google that a little bit more and do a little bit more research. And then I would kind of push back on that a little bit, Jason. I think that I mean, I don't know, I'm influenced by uh, this week in tech and their conversation recently. 
marketing and advertising was a huge business before we had the level of intrusive tracking that we have now. And so, you know, Facebook has a lot of eyeballs and yes, there are a lot of folks who love being able to drill down and, and target the ads in the way that they can because so much data is not just harvested, by the way, by Facebook, but we go to the CVS or Walgreens pharmacy and we buy something and they say, oh, and would you like to have three cents off so we can add to the opaque cloud of data that, you know, we're not showing you, but it's being collected, you know, on your behalf or, or, or being collected, you know, on you. Um, it's, it's more than just Facebook in terms of this whole ecosystem and, I, you know, I think advertising is a really important part of capitalism, and I don't think either capitalism or marketing is going away. But I definitely think we're hearing louder drums beat about regulating Facebook. And honestly, I I hope that they that they are. I, I mean, you know, if but it's dangerous, right? Because we're going to have legislators that are going to be debating and passing laws who might not be understanding how the internet actually works. And, right. you know, it, that's, that's scary. It, it is. But I, I, uh, I think that Facebook has had epic fails too many times. I think the unintended consequences have been devastating in many places, you know, ask the Rohingya uh, minority in, uh, in Myanmar and Burma, um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of different examples of how this has been incredibly destructive and there's no way Facebook can, you know, has demonstrated a capacity to self-regulate successfully. But that said, I don't expect it to, to be pretty and I don't expect that it's, it's going to be elegant and ineffective, uh, in the ways that we hope it will be. It's going to be messy, but I, 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 you know, think about the Wild West, right? Maybe that's not a great analogy, but, you know, it, it took quite a while for, for law and order and for, for different norms to be established because things were just chaotic. And anyway, it, it was, it was, it was a different time, but it, it, it still feels that way. Um, and, and I think that we're, we're going to, continue to see a variety of different entities, both governmental and non-governmental, you know, try to, to influence this. And, you know, what Facebook really needs is, is strong leadership and a, and a vision for the future. And I don't know if Zuckerberg has the capacity to do that. I, he has the capacity to apologize a lot. And that's kind of the image that I have of him now with, with testifying, but they need to change that because that's a very poor, you know, image of you to have uh, of the leader of, of this company. But I don't know if Zuckerberg has the, the vision and, and what it will take to, to lead his company into the future. I think Tim Cook does. And I agree with you, Jason. I'm really glad to see Apple taking this stand and it poses a substantial challenge. Is it an existential threat to Facebook? I don't think so because I think there's still a lot of room for Facebook to monetize, but who knows? Um, I, I'm going to throw one other thing out just because it was so interesting and it caught my eye, but uh, Signal is a really great uh, messaging app that allows for end-to-end encryption. In fact, I'm on Signal now, and I've been using it to text some friends uh, back and forth. I will tell you that my Signal... Um, uh, my, my single messages are not very interesting and, and aren't anything that really needs uh, end-to-end encryption. But the point is, is that, you know, uh, just because it's not uninteresting doesn't mean it doesn't deserve protection from prying eyes, right? But uh, Signal did something very interesting um, and released this information yesterday. It was originally, I, I read the article originally in Gizmodo, and then they sent you to the Signal blog. But basically, they utilized existing Facebook tools uh, for targeted advertising that allows you to insert dynamic data into the ad. And the ads they came up with were totally creepy and kind of uh, uh, concerning. Um, so I want to read you one of the ads. This was an ad that I believe was going to go out over Instagram. The ad said, you're getting this ad because you're a blank. And you're blank. This ad used your location to see you're in blank. You're into blank and thinking about blank. And uh, so uh, the kind of things that uh, they ended up uh, serving up to to are that they propose serving up utilizing the tools available to advertisers um, in the Facebook platform. You got this this ad because you're a K-pop loving chemical engineer. This ad used your location to see you're in Berlin. You have a new baby. You just moved. 
and you're really feeling those pregnancy exercises lately. Um, you got this ad because you're a GP with a master's in art history, also divorced. This ad, use your location to see you're in London. Your online activity shows that you've been getting into boxing and you're probably, uh, uh, getting there on your new motorcycle. And this one, uh, you got this ad because you're a new, newlywed Pilates instructor and you're cartoon crazy. Uh, this ad utilized your location to see you're in La Hala. Uh, you're into parenting blogs and thinking about LGBTQ, LGBTQ adoption. And, um, uh, you know, I, I just don't think every time, you know, that, uh, um, you see an ad that is for something you've been shopping for already, that's probably the minimum it understands about you in that the logarithm and the advertising tools available to target ads to you are extremely pointed. That is a magnificent article and effort at transparency. It reminds me of uh, Manoush Samarodi. What was the name of their podcast that we liked so much? Uh, Note to Self. Note to Self. And there were some really excellent episodes that she did. And there were tools. I think there were Firefox add-ons that at one time, and these may have been broken with Facebook API changes, you know, you could gain some insight into this, again, opaque cloud of vast cloud of data and information that has been collected by not only Facebook, by these third party companies and, and forms this whole, you know, ecosystem of really pretty surreptitious surveillance that, that undergirds surveillance capitalism, which is the cornerstone of several different large companies, many companies uh, out there. So I think that's a beautiful article and I love how that has visibility that's jarring because, yeah, that information is being collected. And I've had a somewhat similar experience a few years ago when I ran my own Facebook ads for some workshops that I was doing. And I was like, really? You know, and it, it is, well, I mean, you can, you can commit crimes, right? You can, you could choose, uh, I mean, you can choose to target in terms of like housing and stuff like that. And this is something that's been criticized, you know, and I think people have done that where, where there are, there are equal housing laws and things that are trying to, um, stop, for instance, you know, uh, a, a ra- racist advertising or, or marketing. And anyway, Facebook's tools are just so vast. And that just really was kind of an eye opener in, in that same sort of way that that article is. You're like, wow, they have that kind of data. And then they can actually, you know, iterate on that. And just imagine, Jason, what that would mean if it was in the hands of uh, different political, uh, you know, party uh, employees. What, what could what could go wrong? Yeah, what could. Yeah, absolutely. What could go wrong? Um so yeah, interesting ad. By the way, Facebook apparently banned them from running ads uh, because they didn't make it past their vetting. But there are differing statements about um, about what actually happened there. So enough about social media. I uh, it's time to move on. Wes, where shall we go to next? Well, why don't we just head down right to the miscellaneous category because I've got sure. a few different things that we can jump into. Uh, let's start with the New York Times yesterday on May 4th. As cars go electric, China builds a big lead in factories. Wow, this is an incredible article. You know, it is amazing to me. I don't know if you ever saw, Jason, that special on whatever happened to the electric car. But there was this time in the not-so-distant past where, you know, major auto manufacturers just flat out did not want to see electric cars succeed. And I don't know, because it's been a while since I've seen it, if it was General Motors or Ford or who it was, you know, that it produced this car. But then after it was over, like they were destroyed. And so anyway, this is a phenomenal article. And what it's <laughs> what it says to me, in addition to look out, but hey, electric, electric cars are coming way faster than you probably realized it's also the ascendancy of China and the incredible investments that, uh, you know, people and, and groups and hedge funds and all this are making in the electric car economy. Um, and I, I have uh, had an opportunity this last weekend. Shelly and I went to Hot Springs, Arkansas, which, by the way, if you want to study a town with some interesting history, check out Hot Springs. If you're a Star Wars fan, you'll recognize this, the name of Moss Eisley. 
It was a hive of scum and villainy. And that was actually a pretty good app description of what Hot Springs was, you know, in Prohibition days and like before the 60s. Anyway, all of that to say um, that I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was I trying to say? Something about... Um... Hmm. <laughs> Guys, I'm telling you, you... Um... You turn, oh, okay, thank you. You turn 50, the brain, the brain neural loss is real. Um, with my father, my uh, brother-in-law is what I was trying to say, because we spent the weekend together. We were talking about, he's from Texas. They live in, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They almost came up here because of power, you know, power outages and, uh, you know, and his, he just, Texas really showed us in that recent, you know, storm how, fragile the grid is and how it's really not ready for substantial, you know, shocks to the system. And, and in his opinion, um, it's really, we're really not ready yet in terms of our grid for the demands that electrical power is going to place on us. However, you know, te- you know, Elon Musk is riding to our rescue with the power wall and eventually with solar panels that we'll be able to put on our roofs and, you know, all kinds of things. But it, this is a fantastic article and it was a real eye opener. So Jason, are you considering, or would you consider an electric car? And uh, let's just spin it to the educational lens. What, what impact do you, how would you see a conversation about electric cars fitting into classroom conversations? Is there a, a space for that? Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 it is the transformation revolution, right? And it, uh, you know, obviously automobiles themselves, and, and I always see this from an historical uh, standpoint, right? I was a history teacher in the classroom. I taught about, uh, the transportation revolution, um, with, uh, initially trains in the United States and then ultimately motor vehicles. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a historical conversation there. And, you know, I, not everyone agrees that, that, uh, uh, that global warming, um, uh, the global warming exists and that fossil fuels, uh, are a cause of that. Uh, most, you know, uh, scientists do, but, uh, you know, I think there is a real room to talk about what is it that we should be doing to deal with that. And I think, uh, uh, electric cars, electric vehicles, um, I, in, in my humble opinion are a big part of that. Although one of the things to remember about electric vehicles, is you also have to be concerned about where your electricity is produced. And, and there are places and it's true of Montana. We have a lot more renewable energy here than we did 20 years ago, but a lot of Montana's electricity is generated by coal. So, you know, it, it, there is a, it's, it's not quite as simple as it looks that just convert to electric, uh, 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 cars and, you know, the pollution that comes from transportation goes away. But, uh, yeah, very much, uh, uh, interesting, uh, topic. And I do think innovation is an extremely important component, um, of, of, uh, you know, the transportation revolution. Excellent. Uh, okay. One more. Uh, we'll just take a, I've got a couple here, but, uh, we haven't talked about CRISPR in a while. This is an Engadget article, um, that was on May 1st. Harvard scientists create gene editing tool that could rival CRISPR. Uh, as you may recall, we had a Nobel Prize awarded in chemistry to both a female French and a female U.S. uh, scientist, I think biochemists. And it was about CRISPR, this technology that allows for gene editing and for parts of the of a genome to be snipped out and then enzymes to repair. What these Harvard gene editors are saying they can do with their tool is something far more complex. And rather than just, you know, taking out single things, they can do all of these edits simultaneously. So the potential for both, you know, good and scary uses of this is, I'm sure, going to also come faster than we might expect. So, you know, biotechnology, it's a it's an industry of the future. It's a huge, huge, you know, part of of our collective and shared literally future um, because, you know, editing the editing the genome of an organism is something that is inherit that is potentially inheritable if that if that organism has offspring. And so I thought that was pretty interesting as well. The thoughts, or would you like to take us somewhere else, Dr. Knife? Well, let's get into some maybe techie, techie stuff. A very quick security article I want to share tonight because of, of the sheer magnitude of the story. PC Magazine reported, this was today, uh, early this morning, actually, that Dell is reporting a massive security f- uh, flaw that goes back to 2009 that 
impact hundreds of millions of PCs. And the reason why I mention this is we, I know we have some, uh, uh tech directors, tech coordinators that uh, listen to the podcast. And if you haven't seen this yet and you are, uh, uh, if you have any Dells in your system and you're utilizing windows, uh, it's, it's a, it's a malformed driver that impacts desktops and laptops and tablets from Dell. And it's so serious that Dell is actually going to issue patches for Windows 7 and Windows 8.1, which are both no longer uh, supported by Microsoft. And so what that tells you uh, is that it's a very serious issue. Now, you can actually uh, 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 take a step directly. You don't need the driver update um, uh, from Dell to be able to deal with it. There's a single file you can delete. You have to dig a little bit into the Windows operating system to do that. But if you are in a position to do that, in fact, I'm going to uh, be working on that inside uh, on the IT lead for my my small department, then I'm going to be doing that with all of our uh, um, all of our folks involved. Uh, the new patched drivers uh, will be available for Windows 7 and 8.1 later this year, and I believe that we're a week away. May 10th is when uh, Dell uh, system management apps like the Dell Update and Dell Command Update will have the new driver available. So something to keep in mind. Keep your firmware updated. It was not very long ago I was wrestling with a bunch of Dell all-in-one machines and, you know, having to just spend more, much more time than I would like, uh, you know, getting getting things updated. So if you have the luxury to, to not have to worry about that and uh, you have self-updating Chrome technology perhaps or, you know, anyway, it's you, you got to keep it patched and you got to keep it safe. And yep. that is a real challenge. It's a challenge on every platform. Uh, This is is also why we want to see operating systems evolve and why as schools, we need to be looking at platforms that are going to, you know, help not only protect individuals, but our organizations and are going to hopefully be, uh, you know, easier to manage in secure ways. So, yep, absolutely. And then I also wanted to, uh, well, let's move on to some Apple news, uh, interesting stuff going on in the Apple world this week. First, I found a really interesting article on Lifehacker and, and, and to be frank, Lifehacker articles haven't really been great on tech as of late that since they, their, the, uh, uh blog was bought out a couple years ago, um, when their, um, their holding company was uh, sold off as part of their bankruptcy uh, because of the Hulk. I think it was the Hulk Hogan trial, whatever it was. The yeah, doctor, right. I think. Yeah, yeah that's um, right. it hasn't been it hasn't been nearly as useful to techies, but it does uh, make a list on how to set up every individual new feature in, in that, that's really worth it in in iOS fourteen point five. Um, and it's things like how to automatically change your iPhone screen orientation for specific apps. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, uh, how to answer calls with your voice. Um, uh, how to set up Siri's new voices. In fact, I moved to a new uh, Siri voice over the weekend. And I, I you know, so what I think is always funny about this is as true on Android that it is on, on, on iOS products. But there's always you know, amazing new features when they release new versions. But... Very rarely is there ever like a guide to this. You have to kind of dig on the internet or stumble into the feature to find it out. So I thought that article was kind of useful. And then I want to talk about AirTags for a second. And I will note that I am now the owner of four shiny new Apple AirTags. Um, and it was a Marcus Brownlee video, um, that really sold me on this. He had a really good review of these a week ago. Um, and so I ended up buying a four pack of them. And um, I want to give a quick review. Um, the 9 to 5 Mac article I shared today um, uh, has a pretty solid review. It's a very positive review, which I would expect on, on 9 to 5 Mac. Um, but I want to talk about some quick impressions I have about this. Um, the first one is that it, it is very Apple. It's a beautiful, simple device. It's really easy to change the battery. It's got a, a, a nice hard white plastic with a metal top. Um, and it works just like the other trackers. So I, I'm a tile guy. I've got a lot of tiles. Uh, I'm probably going to move towards the, the air, um, uh, uh, the air tag, but, uh, as the primary platform. But I would say so far there, there, everything that you see on the videos works great, easy to track things, super interesting. There are a couple things that I don't like about them. The first one is that I find it utterly ridiculous that Apple didn't include some kind of way to hang 
hang this on something. There's no hole in it. There's no, there's no holder. It's just this. And thus you have to buy something else that it sticks to, um, uh, or that, that holds it so you can, you know, put it on your bag or do something how, with it. How many adapters have you had to purchase yet, Jason, for your M processor Mac? Well, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, this is the uh, Apple way, sadly. I mean, it, it is, is right. And, yeah. you know, and this is the, this is the tile, right? Uh, uh, one of my tile trackers. And this is, I mean, admittedly, this is the more rug, uh, ru- uh, rugged one. Excuse <laughs> the me. The more Montana one. Ready yeah. For the more Montana tracking. one. Right. And, um, you know, there we go. And, you know, it's got this nice, uh, keychain holder on it, you know, so that you can put this. In fact, I took this one directly off my keys. Apple will sell you a beautiful leather one for $35, which is more than you pay for the, the air tracker itself or the air uh, tag itself. It's just ridiculous. And because, uh, uh, international manufacturers haven't really got in on this yet, there aren't any third party alternatives that are available right now. So I've ordered two of them. One is literally shipping from China. It's going to take 45 days to get here. And then another one's going to be released uh, the third week of May. That one is a little nicer looking because it actually uh, adds uh, uh, something that kind of looks like my tile, actually, uh, kind of a rugged look, uh, a background to it. I find that to be silly. And that's that. Uh, it, I mean, I don't know what Apple gets out of that other than it does delight third party uh, supporters of Apple and, and third party uh, manufacturers make a ton of stuff to support Apple. Um, the other thing I would say is that I have not been able, speaking of the Marcos Brownlee video, which is excellent, uh, 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 an excellent review, I haven't been able to figure out how to get the feature yet that tells me, like, that shows me, like, a little arrow and, and where something's located at. So when I try to find something, it'll tell me it's nearby, and it will show me a map of my house, like, uh, you know, my, my house on the map, I don't know how to actually get it to where it helps me, like, locate it by the direction it's going into. So I got to figure that one out. Um, and it, the fact that it's not obvious is kind of un-Apple-like, because usually those kinds of features, you know, are kind of baked into the process. So I haven't played with it that much, uh, you know, other than I did finally get to go visit my parents for the first time since Thanksgiving 2019 this past weekend. It was a delightful weekend. I love my parents very much. They're good people. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I've obviously been in close contact with them since all this pandemic mess started. It's great to see them, but, uh, I haven't really had a reason yet. In fact, I didn't get these until I got back from that trip. Um, I, you know, I, I don't lose much right now, just sitting around my home 24 hours a day. So that hasn't really been a deal, but, uh, interesting, nice hardware. We'll see what that looks like. Um, are you in the uh, business of uh, uh, perhaps a, an air tag or two in your life, sir? Well, you're definitely, you know, any, anytime Dr. Neifer says, I'm into this, you got to watch out because you could, you know, easily find yourself in a room with 30 different screens. But um, I'll check it out. I do have some things that sometimes, I mean, you know, keys are obviously one logical possibility. Um yeah, but the Apple way is is really a lot of adapters, and that's just unfortunately gotten worse. Uh, I mean, I have so many so many different adapters in my little blue bag that I keep in my backpack, and it's for you know headphones now because I uh, sometimes I need the eighth inch adapter, sometimes I need a lightning adapter, sometimes I need um, the USB C because I've got a iPad Pro and computer, and you know I don't have USB A anymore and HDMI and Ethernet, <laughs> so. Yes, yeah. it is kind of crazy. But on the other hand, a lot of things are wireless. And when you are heavily invested in the Apple ecosystem, I mean, I do actually plug into a docking station and use an external mouse. Uh, I'm, I've just, anyway, I've just kind of started to love that. And, uh, and I do that at school all the time, but I would not have to. We have Apple TVs. We can wirelessly connect. And so dongle heck is not a reality for everyone, but it is the Apple way. And I think they maintain probably a, a very synergistic relationship with third party um, product developers. Uh, Peggy had mentioned that, that picture. Uh, the second one that's in that nine to five article, it is a Belkin adapter that it is picturing that, that does show a loop um, third party. So you gotta, right. gotta, gotta pony that up, but yeah, I'll, I'll consider it. Um, it wasn't, I, I don't know the, the privacy stuff on iOS 14.5 was definitely the stuff that I was most 
excited about. In the second article, though, that you just mentioned about how to set up every article, the, I think that's the Life Hacker article. They mentioned mm-hmm. Apple Maps sharing your ETA, and I've used the app Glimpse for a long time. <laughs> I finally realized, because when you go on trips, you can text your family, and it, it shows where you are. It even shows how fast you're going. So, you know, in days gone by, when my dad would be driving, I'd be like, Dad, are you really sp- supposed to be going that fast? Um, of course, I'm sure it could say the same thing about me sometimes on the road. But anyway, I... I had set my permissions wrong where it would only share my location when I was using the app. Well, that doesn't work for something like that where you want to be continually, you know, sharing your location data with somebody. And I finally, I think, realized that's that's what I had mistakenly done. And that's Apple enhancing both on the iPhone and iPad as well as the computer, you know, locking down permissions. And, you know, you've you have more granular control over those kinds of things, but sometimes your apps can break. So glad to see that update and uh, I'll check it out, but you know, it's not something that's, uh, that's rocking my world. I will say, I think that we'll probably be looking at getting some additional Apple watches for some members of our family. I didn't put this in here, but I, there's, I don't know, this is just on the rumor, but like blood pressure monitoring and blood, blood sh- sugar. Like sugar. Yeah. I just, I think maybe I even tweeted you or copied you on that one. I was like, really? That is phenomenal. And, yeah. and yay Apple with privacy, right? Because who is going to want to have really either an Amazon or a Google device that would be sharing that kind of confidential information? I mean, you just have to have a lot of confidence in the company to secure and protect your privacy. So, Yep, absolutely. Um, and I want to point out one other article that I, if you're interested in the privacy stuff regarding AirTags, it's worth your time. Uh, it's too much to describe. In the context of the show, but Samantha Murphy, Samantha, Samantha Murphy, Murphy Kelly. Thank you. Samantha Murphy Kelly, uh, 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 a, a, an interesting name to pronounce, uh, writes on CNN business that she actually tracked her kid using an Apple AirTag through it. I think at her kid's backpack, uh, to see how much she could track it. And um, uh, there's some interesting uh, caveats there. I, I mentioned uh, two weeks ago when we talked about the release of AirTags that I thought that Apple had added some very novel uh, privacy uh, pieces to be able to um, make sure that people aren't, you know, throwing AirTags in the back of people's trunks and then utilizing that as some kind of search mechanism. And it seems like that some of those technologies um, aren't really finely tuned yet uh, because she was able to uh, uh, stick an AirTag um, with her kid um, and track, like, for example, where, where, where her kiddo and a babysitter were located at. And um, uh, uh, Apple has commented that the software uh, will, will evolve over time. It's also important to note that AirTags don't work in devices that, he, that either not updated to iOS 14.5 yet or don't qualify to update to iOS 14.5, which includes a whole range of devices that are still in service. And so that's something to understand as well. But again, really interesting um, uh, uh, stuff. And uh, I like very much like uh, the, the technology so far. That dropped an, an Apple article I'll pick up real quick here. Uh, I think you've done one on Epic as well. Uh, mine is a Gizmodo article from May 3rd titled The Epic versus Apple Hearing is Already a Disaster. And interestingly, it's really not to do with legal challenges. It has to do with the ineptitude of folks handling the Zoom or whatever video conference was going on. And if you'd like to read an article about a freaking nightmare that seems to be so preventable, there was a hot mic for people who were watching this or whatever, and all these inappropriate interjections. And this is in the... This is formally Epic versus Apple. I would say Apple computer, but they're just called Apple now. I mean, this is, this is big time. Um, and it's like, anyway, we, we hear about, you know, trolls and what was it called? It was a zoom trolling or anyway, there's just, there's, there was different nightmare things that happened at graduation ceremonies that some universities had and other things where, you know, people were on their, um, you know, just disrupting and doing, doing things that were not appropriate. And so anyway, this is, I don't know how, they need some IT help there, basically, I think, in the courtroom. So do you want to pick up your other Epic article? Yeah, this one's really interesting because it, it has to do with Epic versus uh, uh, Apple, but it also has to do with something that, I, that I've that i actually noticed as a, now that I'm an Apple mobile, mobile user again, um, 
a senior Google engineer has released a, I believe it was a blog post talking about something that it really does end up undermining one of Apple's critical arguments against Epic. And their argument is that if you don't want to be in the app store, one of the options you can do is to create a, a web-based app, right? And we've talked in the past about PWAs or progressive web apps, which install on your phone like an app. Um, I think those work uh, uh, on iOS as well, but they're definitely a component of the Android operating system. And you can install them on Windows PCs and Macs and Chromebooks. And they're uh, definitely a, a step forward in web-based apps. But the argument he made was that the bottom line is that WebKit, which is the uh, the underlying technology that backs every single browser on iOS. And the reason why is because Apple won't let you create a browser technology that, that renders pages on its own. You have to use the Apple technology to do this. That's why Chrome sits on top of WebKit and not the Chromium browser, which is what, uh, you know, uh, uh, they develop for Windows and Mac PCs for that matter. Um, and, and, and all the platforms that Chrome is available on, but on iOS, so the mobile operating system that powers the iPad and the iPhone, you have to use WebKit. And what the, the Google engineer said is that you can't, or the WebKit is really dated and, and clunky when it comes to web-based apps. And you probably don't notice it on a regular basis, uh, with the regular web. But if you're trying to utilize a, a, a highly interactive space, which would be what you're looking for in regards to a, um, a, a, a web app, right? Something that, that functions as an app, but delivered through a web browser. He says it's not really there on iOS devices. And I think that's some interesting food for thought in regards to Apple. And he says in the article too, it actually doesn't conform to agreed upon web standards, yep. which is a pretty substantial charge. Yep. So hopefully our good friends at, at Apple are hard at work at this, but it, it points to again, the need to be, updating and the need to be continually renewing um, the web continues to grow and change and be very dynamic. It's hard for us to keep up as human beings with our feeble, you know, evolutionarily developed minds that are used to linear change and not exponential change. But um, yeah, hopefully they're, they're updating that at some point, but I certainly haven't read about that. And that that's kind of a, at a geek level that's beyond most of us as far as what, you know, the next level WebKit is going to be for Apple. But I would say that's got to be among the most important function of the phone. Isn't that weird to say about a phone? You'd think it was calling. But accessing the, the web and being able to do that, yep. you know, in a fast way, uh, in a secure way and all that is uh, is pretty essential. Well, and as... Uh... Uh, as Steve Jobs mentioned in the introduction of the iPhone, it's a revolutionary internet communicator, right? And a big part of that is the web. That's right. Well, we're drawing near to the end of our time. Uh, any other articles just leaping out at you, screaming, I want you to talk about me tonight, Dr. Neifer? Oh, and Dr. Neifer has dropped out. But he's back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Just when you thought the show was over, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The rogue click of the keyboard. All right. Any uh, last-minute articles before our Geeks of the Week that you'd like uh, to make sure we talk about? Just Nope. Before? I think I've caught everything I want to talk about tonight. All right. Sounds good. Well, my Geeks of the Week have to do with yesterday being the fourth is with you. May the fourth be with you. Um, Lucasfilm, under control of Disney now, released a lovely video that as of this morning had about a quarter of a million views for one day. Uh, and it's entitled Celebrating May the 4th in a Galaxy Far, Far Away. So this is a wonderful um, montage of clips from lots of different Star Wars movies. And in showing this to my fifth and sixth graders, I was informed that the animated Clone Wars is a fantastic series that some of my kids were like, I love that. It's so great. So anyway, it's just about hope and it's a, a wonderfully uplifting message about, you know, how we win and how we overcome adversity. And then in the course of talking about that with my kids, my fifth graders, actually, uh, I was reminded of the 1978 remix that my neighbors and I created in Lubbock, Texas, six months or six months, six um, maybe it took that long. We kind of planned it all summer. My mother shot it on a Super 8 movie uh, camera, if you remember those, without audio. 
Anyway, um, it has 384 views as of today. So you can be viewer number 385. But, yes, I was Luke Skywalker, and I had to be Obi-Wan Kenobi fighting Darth Vader. And my kids thought it was really funny that my first kiss, which was right before Princess Leia and I, you know, leaped off of the um, – uh, the fireplace mantle, not the mantle, but the fireplace, whatever. Uh, anyway, swinging, swinging across the chasm. If you're a Star Wars fan, maybe you'll find it humorous. I was thankful that I was not taken down as a copyright because I do use John Williams music, but it's only clips and hopefully that's fair use. I guess YouTube sees it that way. How about well, you, Dr. Knifer? Well, certainly they didn't take you down because John Williams recognizes your film greatness. Oh, so that's, well. that was an acknowledgement of that. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, delightful. Um, I want to share a site that I, sometimes these articles end up in, in our list and sometimes they don't, but there's a really great website that uh, is kind of community driven. It's called Hacker News. It's a service of the Y Combiner, which is a, uh, a Silicon Valley based uh, startup uh incubator and, 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 and funding mechanism. And basically it is, uh, it's, it's like if you used to do slash dot back in the day, it's kind of like Reddit. Uh, there's a discussion component, but in any given day, there's, you know, 20 to 30 new articles that are posted there. They are geek diddly. Like it's really some really hardcore geek stuff there, hardcore science stuff, some programming language pieces. Um, uh, today, the, uh, the, the, uh, top article that I read this morning was that, uh, uh, there, there was a fork of Mozilla's uh, Firefox Send product because it's open source and takes you literally to the GitHub page so that you can look at the code. Like it's, it's hardcore geek, but if you are a geek, it's got really great stuff and there's not a single time I go into it and there's apps you can get on iOS and Android that are kind of, uh, 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 uh feed into this so that you can see it via an app. It's really got good, good geeky stuff if you're looking for some good old fashioned fun on your phone. Very good. Well, as I conclude the show, I will also, Dr. Nifer, try to remember to say where can people find you because anyway, you know, I'll just, I'll just, uh, blame age, but this has been the EdTech Situation Room, your weekly opportunity to hear Jason and I, uh, rant at times and pontificate on our thoughts about the week's technology news. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter at EdTechSR. You can check out all of our show notes on EdTechSR.com slash links. Of course, you can uh, subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Uh, we are thrilled to have live viewers, and we want to say a thanks to Peggy George, as always, who is our, our faithful fan and uh, assistant, actually, and oftentimes sharing links that are helpful. Uh, Jason, when you are not here on Wednesday night, where can people find you? Best place to find me is Twitter, Tech Savvy Teach. And you, sir? I am um, lots of places, uh, westfriar.com slash after. And uh, I am sharing more things about food cooking on Cooking with West. But W Fryer on Twitter is the main place that I share. So until next time, we encourage you to stay savvy, stay safe, and don't forget to share the EdTech Situation Room because we would love to expand the vast reach of this growing program. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next time. Good night.